us pray. God, sometimes it all seems like too much. Awaken us today to what you call us to in keeping the Sabbath. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. On March 29th, 1947, New York City bus driver William Camillo started his bus route promptly at 6.55 a.m. Traffic was horrible. In fact, traffic was always horrible in New York City. That, coupled with the pressure to keep his route on time, meant that every day was a pressure cooker for William Camillo. And now he was launching into yet another day of unreasonable expectations. As he did so, he found himself daydreaming about what it would be like to just turn his bus around and drive out into open spaces, following his heart as far as it would take him. At first, it was just a crazy, whimsical thought, but the longer it lingered, the more power it gained. And then he decided to do it. He went rogue. This is a true story. He got on the highway and he headed south. He stopped for some dinner in New Jersey. And then he continued south until he pulled up in front of the White House in DC. He parked his bus, he got out, and he walked around for a couple of hours and then got back on his bus and continued south. Three days later, in Hollywood, Florida, running short on money, he dared to send a telegraph to his boss asking for $50. His location was now disclosed. Two New York City de detectives were sent to arrest him and to impound the bus. They quickly found out, though, that they did not know how to drive the bus, so they politely asked William to please drive it with them back to New York City. And by the time he got back home, he discovered that he had become an urban legend. Local newspapers were touting him as this working class hero, someone who summoned the nerve to do what we wish we all could do, but nobody had found the courage to do. His co-workers raised enough money for his legal defense, but the local bus company that he worked for eventually decided to not prosecute. In fact, they gave him his job back and he drove for another 16 years. When they asked why did he do it, he said, New York City traffic just gets to you. It's like a squirrel cage. I just needed to get away from everything. Can you relate to that? How many times have you been driving into work and somewhere back in that crazy part of your brain, you're thinking, what if I just kept on driving? What if I just went northwest somewhere? Nobody know, would know where I was and I would, be, I would completely escape everything. If you've ever felt that way, then this sermon is for you. Today, we're continuing in our Genesis sermon series, and we encounter today the idea of Sabbath. 
we read about the Sabbath in the Genesis story this morning. The last day God creates, God ceases creating and enters wholly into the joy of all of God's creation and invites humankind to enter into the joy of creation as well. And God calls this time a time of rest. Fast forward, though, with me in your mind a little bit to the book of the next book in the Pentateuch, the book of Exodus. And what we find there is that the Israelite slaves in Egypt have been there for generations. Now imagine what that must have been like, not to be your own person, somebody always telling you what to do, having to work extraordinary, back-breaking hours in the open fields every day, poor rations, filthy living conditions. You were susceptible to being snatched away and sold from your family at a moment's notice beaten, brutalized. And so the Israelites became cogs in the wheels of Egypt. And that's what life was like for the Israelites. But then miracle of miracles, God delivers them from slavery. But that did not mean that life became instantaneously wonderful again. They had spent generations learning how to survive as slaves. And now suddenly, <laughs> They had to learn how to thrive as free people. I'm going to repeat that. <laughs> For generations, they had lived as slaves. And now they had to learn how to thrive as free people. What does that even look like? So Moses goes up on the mountain. He's seeking God's guidance. And one of the first things that God tells Moses, one of the 10 great guidelines for life is found in Exodus 28. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. You probably know this. The Hebrew word for holy means separate, distinct, unique. Remember the Sabbath and keep it distinct. Keep it uniquely. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh you shall not do any work. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Friends, as children of the living God, as spiritual beings made in the image of God, Moses here is revealing to the Israelites that they should do what God did. In other words, you're not a slave. You're a child of the living God, and that means that you are endowed with certain divine prerogatives, one of which is that you're entitled to take one whole day off a week just to renew, to experience the simple joy of being. Notice how Deuteronomy 5 articulates the Sabbath principle. Remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand. In other words, because you were slaves, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So there's something uniquely suited about this commandment to keep the Sabbath that was meant to help the Israelites just let go and leave off this 
vestige of their slave mentality and to live more fully into what it means to be free people. Living as free people means learning that there is much in life that is important beyond our work. It's equally important for us to make room to breathe, to create space to relax and to enjoy life and to simply be. Are you living in that freedom that God intends for you? Because let me tell you, life is going to constantly try to turn you into a slave. We may not answer to any Egyptian overlord, but there are forces in the systems that we live in that are constantly trying to turn us into slaves. Who do you think you are? You don't have time to rest. You don't get a weekend. You have to keep pushing 24-7 or you'll fall hopelessly behind. Get to work. You should always be on call. We want to kick back. We want to relax, but there's always more to do than could possibly be done. So even when we are trying to relax, there's the stress and pressure that's talking to us of what remains undone. John Gardner puts it this way. We keep our lives so busy. We fill our lives with so many diversions, stuff our head with so much knowledge, involve ourselves in so many, with so many people, fill our time with so many commitments that we never have time to probe the fearful and wonderful world within. By midlife, most of us are accomplished fugitives from ourselves. That's no way to live. You are not a slave. You are a child of God, and you were meant to live a beautiful balance of productivity, but also the joy of simply being, which is why the Sabbath command is so important. You know, I see this all the time as a priest. People who come and who just have tattered souls and frayed spirits. They lack a deep peace and grounding of their lives in the living God. And they sense this themselves and they try to remedy it with one more vacation or one more drink or one more diversion rather than facing their bruised hearts that are crying out for the presence of God and crying out to bask in the love of God. Albert Schweitzer put it this way. If your soul has no Sabbath, it becomes an orphan. Don't let that happen to you. Every week, sometime during the week, God wants you to turn the bus around and head for wide open spaces. To hit the highway and to go wherever your heart takes you. Enjoying simply being and simply knowing the reality of God's presence and God's love for itself alone. You know, when I'm teaching children about the meaning of Sabbath, I, yeah, I like to use an analogy, and I'll, I'll share that analogy with you this morning. We're told in the Psalms that God never sleeps or, nor slumbers. God has no need of such. So what is this rest that God enters into on the Sabbath? Surely it's not sort of the, the physical exhaustion that you and I as mortals experience. To take it even further, in the book of Exodus, 
there's a text that says seven days God labored in creation and on the seventh God rested and was refreshed. Now I find that a fascinating verse. This God who never sleeps nor slumbers, who has no need of such, was refreshed. So what kind of renewal are we talking about here that God experienced? Here's the analogy. Most of us have likely experienced a Thanksgiving dinner. Many of us have had the pleasure of preparing one with all the work that goes into that. And you know how, what it's like. You begin days before. You plan it out, then you go purchase everything. And then a few days before, we begin cooking. And we, on the, on the day, the day finally arrives and we're ready to call our loved ones around the table to eat. And after all that work, sometimes days of work, we may be exhausted by all of that work. But when the hour comes, what do we do? Even though we're exhausted. We don't say, well, you guys have fun. I'm beat. I'm going to go take a nap. <laughs> That's not what we do. We don't say, see you later. I'm going to go check out. That's not what we do at all. We enter into the joy of all that preparation by sitting down with those we love. We fellowship with them. We laugh with them. We love them. We don't just leave and sack out in the bedroom, even though we may be very, very tired. Because around the table, we find there a renewal and a refreshment for our spirits. It was for fellowship that God created us. And no sooner had God finished creating than God on the seventh day entered wholly into the joy of that creation. And God invited humankind to enter into that relationship of love, whereby both God and humanity were refreshed and renewed constantly. And the natural world was the context that provided that was provided for this relationship to express itself joyfully and lovingly. That, friends, is the true renewal of, of Sabbath rest. It's not just about going and taking a nap or going on another vacation. It's about finding that renewal in our relationship with God where we exalt, we just take time to exalt God and to lift God up. And in doing so, we find in turn that we are exalted and our frayed spirits are healed and a balm is put on our heart. And that's why God gives us the Sabbath principle. Because we are free to access God and to find renewal in our lives. And we need to schedule out time for that to happen. Now, you know, we are no longer under the law as followers of Jesus. But I think this Sabbath wisdom still applies to our lives. God knows that the busyness of work, if we don't put up boundaries, will crowd its way into all of our lives. So God gives this bright line rule to the Israelites that they stop. They do nothing stressful except in an emergency that they rest, that they renew themselves spiritually and otherwise until the end of that day. And then they can get back to their labor. It's meant to be one of those, as we talked about last week, one of those healthy boundaries that over time becomes a healthy habit 
that can bless our lives in incredible ways. So I want to finish this sermon this morning by just very briefly talking about the benefits of observing a weekly Sabbath. Some of you have maybe gone and saw Elise Ensley um, and others in our parish last year in the musical Annie. And this musical, I was sitting there and I was watching this musical, I'd never seen it before, told the story of Annie, and many of you know this story, who is housed in the Hudson Street House for Girls during the Great Depression. The headmistress was an alcoholic, tyrannical type. She would force the girls to scrub floors in the middle of the night, sew together patches of materials and peel potatoes and wash mildewed walls. The girls would dream of being adopted out to a loving family. And then Annie, in this story, gets a big break. A millionaire named Oliver Warbucks was looking to borrow an orphan for a weekend to sort of burnish his reputation. So he sends his assistant, Grace, to the house. And she brings Annie back to that mansion. And as Annie enters this mansion, she's stunned. She's never seen anything like it before. There's floral arrangements. There's marble staircases. There's stained glass. She is overwhelmed. And Grace says, Annie, what would you like to do first? Annie says, well, I could start on the windows and then the floors in case things, anything drips. And Grace interrupts her and says, Annie, you don't understand. You don't have to work here. You're our guest. And then Annie's in the story is introduced to all of the servants who prepare the food, who will turn back her bed at night. She smiles and she says, I think I'm going to like it here. <laughs> you see what's happening in that scene, though. Annie had learned to think like a slave and now had to learn to think like a child adopted into great wealth. Like the Israelites who had gone through this reorientation process, Annie had to go through a reorientation process to free her thinking. And now God invites us to do the same. God's spirit escorts us into the vast expanse of Sabbath space. And our first impulse is to say, I'll get right to the floors. But then grace interrupts us and says, child, you don't understand. We're going to serve you. Rest in our presence. Relax. Just be with us. And we smile and we say, I think I'm going to like it here. That's why God gave us the Sabbath. So we can learn, or, or, or so that we can lean into our divine prerogatives as, as children of the living God. Not just so we could enjoy the joy of productivity, but also the joy of simply being who we are. A divine right as a child of the living God. This is the first benefit I see in observing the Sabbath. It retrains my brain to stop thinking like a slave and start thinking like a beloved of God. The second great benefit of Sabbath, it seems to me, is that it's a powerful way to build our faith. Let me explain this with an, an analogy with tithing. Church stewardship experts tell us that tithing, which is giving a 10% of our income to God, is one of the greatest acts of faith that we can ever make. Why do they claim that? Because money is powerful. Money can give us the things we need, or at least the things we think we need. 
And there's never enough, enough money. That's how we feel about it. So just to, to just, just give a tenth of our income back to God is audacious. It's a bold declaration that I believe that God is greater than money itself. That the Lord will provide. That there will always be enough. Friends, time is like money. It's powerful. It's the space in which we get the things done that we need to, or at least the things we think we need to get done. And we never feel like we have enough time. And to simply take one-seventh of our time and give it away, to subtract it from productivity, is a bold act of faith. It's saying that I believe that God is greater than time itself. The Lord will provide. There will always be enough. You know, I practice my Sabbath on Fridays. And on that day, I try to do things that will benefit my soul. Last week, I spent the whole day just listening to worship music. I took a long hike in one of my favorite parks. It's situated between Danville and Avon, near the old Haunted Bridge area, if you know where that's at. Friday is not always easy. That's not always an easy day to take a Sabbath on because I often haven't quite finished my sermon. I've got unresolved pastoral issues that I need to address with people still. And then there's only one day before Sunday to accomplish what needs to get done. And so Friday actually is a perfect time to take a step of faith, take a sacred pause, to ignore the voice of the Egyptian overlord in my head who's saying, get to work, get to work, you're too far behind to stop. I ignore that voice and I sing worship songs and I go walking in nature because those are the things that are refreshing to me and they allow me to turn my mind off and to focus on God. And this past week I had that voice on coming through my head while I was hiking on Friday. You can't rest today. You need to hurry up and finish your sermon on the Sabbath. I hope you see the irony in that right there. But then the voice of faith rose up in me and said, I know who I am. I'm a child of the living God, and I know who God is. God is the God who provides. And so as I rested, as I was renewing my soul, guess what happened? In the midst of that, the Holy Spirit just sort of downloads the structure of today's sermon into my mind. It's just there. Because when we rest the way God teaches us to, something mystical happens and makes us more productive than we even may have been working every living hour, brick by brick, with the, by the sweat of our, our brow. Martin Luther once said, I have so much to do today, I'll never accomplish it all unless I spend two hours in prayer. I think we should adopt that attitude for our lives. So in a defiant act of faith, I go to church, not because I have the time, but precisely because I have so little time. I can't afford not to worship. When we know who we are and who God is, we can relax. Life, friends, is constantly bombarding us with stimuli. We're stressed out, and then we come in here on Sunday morning, and there's space, and we're not constantly bombarded. And we may be tempted to think while we're sitting here, I need more stimuli. Don't yield to that voice. 
face the fearful and wonderful stuff that's going on inside of you. Luxuriate in worship and in prayer. Let the Holy Spirit do something new inside of you. Don't shut that down. We keep Sabbath because it retrains our brains to stop thinking as a slave and rather as children of the living God. We keep Sabbath as a defiant act of faith, knowing that God is greater than all of our requirements and will be our sufficiency. And we keep Sabbath because doing so makes us more productive people in the end. In fact, it's in the midst of Sabbath rest that we are most likely to encounter the presence of the living God, the spirit at work in our hearts, dancing all around us, dancing inside of us. So make time for Sabbath, because God is greater than time itself. And God invites you into a fellowship of love, to bask in that love and to find in that the renewal of your soul. Thanks be to God. Amen.